We're starting today a new series which will uh, concentrate and investigate and understanding the text of the Shemot Esrei. My original intention when I first uh, addressed this question a number of years ago um, was based on an assumption that the text of Shemot Esrei could serve and should serve as a text of Chazal in Machshevet Israel, in understanding the philosophy of Chazal and their attitude towards basic questions in Jewish life. Um, I assume that as a text that's good as any other text, and even better, for reasons which I will immediately explain, for understanding what Chazal thought about the state of Jewish belief. Since the Bachot cover many important areas, and the text is written by Chazal, and Obviously, there are other alternatives. One could take Agadita, which I often do, and I think we all do. The problem with Agadita, of course, is that you can almost find any any opinion there. It is so wide, it's it's so deep because of its use of Agadic language, which allows us to get to certain deep concepts, and then you can always interpret it differently, you can explain it differently, you find different opinions. Tefillah is simpler. It's not metaphoric. Two, it's authoritative. In other words, the, uh, the Kabbalah, Be'adeinu, Jewish tradition says that Shemun was written by Anshay Knesset HaGdola, 120 skinim, Ubahem Kama Nevi'im. And more importantly than who actually wrote it is that it's accepted. It's, it's a central core text of all of Am Yisrael for generations, for thousands of years. I'm ignoring a little bit of a shinoi nusach here, a shinoi nusach there. You can change a word here, change a word there. Most of what I will be saying in this series is based on straightforward nusach ashkaz, which is nusach that I daven, but it applies to nusach spout as well. And if there's an important difference in Yitz Hashem, we will try. We will try to find it. That was my original intention. As it turns out, at least many of the things that we'll be dealing with will also be a commentary on tefillah. To go hand in hand, the commentary on tefillah is the understanding of what Chazal thought about the topic, the topic on hand, and these two different um, goals, understanding tefillah and understanding the world, the eyes of Chazal, as expressed in tefillah, will be co-joined and combined in our in our explanations. Before we begin, three um, three sources for what we're going to do. I believe if I wanted to say a, a shir, to give a lecture about what I think, on the basis of my Yiddishkeit, about uh, certain topics in Jewish studies, in Jewish life, and the life of a Jew, I could. I probably have, and I probably will. Here, I want to interpret a text. As I said, an authoritative text, but nonetheless a text. Therefore, there are three basic sources. One is the text of the tefillah itself. What does it say? Two is the psukim on which it's based. As we shall see, most of Shemot Esrei, and to the greatest possible extent, is based on sources that are biblical. Whole psukim, partial psukim. But Chazal expressed themselves by borrowing from the biblical text. And I don't think that that's merely a literary device. 
a, a phrase, at least sometimes a certain phraseology. But my assumption is, and I think sort of most commentators on that, is that Chazal used the biblical text as a source because in order to daven, we're following the footsteps of the prophets, so to speak. To be able to address God is something to which one brings a no small measure of humility. How does one know how to talk to God? Put it in a different way, a thing which we I will uh, repeat several times, speaking to God is, at least in the Chazal understood it, is a formal address to the king, like in the medieval word is an audience with the king. And there's a protocol how to speak. Unfortunately, no one's written this protocol for us. Chazal wrote the protocol for us, but who wrote the protocol for Chazal? Just like if you had an audience, well, you have to be a little bit medieval here, but if you had an audience with the king, so you have to begin by saying, uh, Your Highness, blessed be your name. And there's certain things you have to do because that's the way one speaks to kings. It's not a conversation with your fellow man. And addressing God is understood by Chazal not merely, oh, it's addressing God, he's a great individual. They understood it as ha-melech, and the idea of melech, of malchut, of, of royalty, majesty, of, of formality, which our basic sources are medieval and not early and not earlier, not as, as old as Chazal to a great extent. But I can imagine that we could find sources dealing with how one addressed the Roman Emperor as well. That's the way Chazal understood Davening. It's not only or, or not usually an intimate uh, uh, pouring out of one's heart. You do that in tefillah, sometimes parts of tefillah. But Shmonesre itself, standing erect before God, speaking softly, is a formal audience before our king. And if I think the protocol, how to speak, by necessity, had to be lifted from those who knew. And therefore, Chazal went back to Tanakh, to Nevu'ah, to Nevi'im, Ketuvim, to the Torah itself, in order to find the language. And therefore, our second source is to examine from where it comes. One also has to remember that Chazal assumed that most of the people that are basically knew Tanakh by heart. And they knew Tanakh by heart. And therefore, half a pasuk automatically brings up the association of the Perak of the chapter of the context from which it's found. Our third source is explicit statements of Chazal in the Medrash, in the Gemara, uh, about this bracha or about this concept, and also understand the concept or a bracha or a set of languages. Sometimes Chazal really explains it more explicitly to us, and therefore we will mine rabbinic literature in order to understand um, the bracha we're dealing. Only in those cases where those three sources have uh, not been sufficient and not provided what we need, what I need, will, I hope, allow myself to say whatever I think, <laughs> to simply let my own imagination uh, run, run free. Okay, today we will begin, not really with introduction, I would like to begin from the text, but a little bit of an introduction. But as it works out, it fits into the schedule as well, because there is a text to which uh, I wish to refer, and that text, in fact, is the very beginning of Shmanesra. More explicitly, it's the line before Shmanesra. And that's the halacha, which says that Shmanesra begins with smichut geula letfilah. The Gemara Brachot davdalid amud bet, and it repeats itself on davtet amud bet as well, in a slightly different context, slightly different words. 
says that one should be somech gulalet filah. One should put together. One should combine. Gula the bracha of gulat Yisrael and the bracha and the beginning of Shmonesrei. Gula meaning Al Yisrael and Tfila meaning Shmonesrei. The Gemara and Aftalit says, "Amar Rav Yochanan, Eizu ben Olam Haba, Zeh Somer Gula Tfila Shel Arvit." Well, and Aftalit is specifically talking about Smichut Gula Tfila in Arvit. Um, a somewhat similar Gemara on the Tetamibet is talking about Shacharit. And there the Gemara says, um, Amma Heid Rabbi Yoshua ben Eliakim Mishum Kila Kedisha di Yushalayim, Kol Hasomech Gulalit Fila, Einon Nizok Kolayim. Now, it's interesting to notice that the Gemara doesn't say one is obligated to the smoke gulal tefillah. If you look at Shulchan Aruch, that's what it says. Machabit says you have to be tzomech gulal tefillah. It's a sur to lafsik, to have a hefsake, to interrupt with some other speech between gulal tefillah. But the Gemara actually never says that. The Gemara says, in effect, it is highly recommended. In other words, the Gemara says is if you do it, you gain, you benefit. One, Eizu ben Olam I'm not implying that that's not a very strong recommendation. It doesn't say you have to do it. It says if you do it, you'll be in Olam And two, Einol Izo Kolayam. You're not, uh, you, will, you will suffer no injury the entire day. The two statements taken together take care of Olam Haz and Olam Haba. If you submit Gulal Atfila, you will have a good day and you'll have a good future day. That's a very high recommendation. But the Gemara doesn't say actually that you, you have to do it, that it's us not to do it. It simply says that it's a very important thing. And that's really our starting point. Because we turn to Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah Chassid Migilondi, famous both for his lambdas, his commentary which is, exists on Babatra and one or two other Masechdot, but he actually is found throughout chess. As well as his attitude towards Musa, the great Sefer Shari Tshuva, which is why he's called Rabbi Yonah HaChasid. And he asks a simple question. The commentary to Brachot is called Talmidei Rabbi Yonah, written by one of his Talmidim. Yeah, but it quotes him very often. And here it begins as follows. Yesh I have a question. The Gemara in Daftalat says, Eizu ben Olam Who is he who merits the future world? He who is Somech Gula Latfila. His question is, really? <laughs> because you, you weren't mafsik. You didn't interrupt between Gulal and Tfilah. That's it? That's how you get into Olam Haba? Seems a bit excessive. In other words, you say, I think it's a good idea, but to say, no, no, no. <laughs> if you take care of this little technical point of putting two Tfilot next to each other and not interrupting between them, that's it. You have now merited Olam Abba. Why? And so he answers in the name of Rabbeinu Yonah. V'omer Mori Harav. Rabbeinu Yonah, in fact, gives two answers. I'll read the first, and uh, that's the basis for what I want to talk about today. If we have time, 
I'll be the second because I think it's basically the same idea as far as we're concerned, although there, there, there's an important difference, not so important for our purposes, but for other purposes. My teacher, Rabbeinu Yonah, said that the reason that one merits such a great reward is because Rebbeyona states, what was the purpose of the Exodus? Why did God redeem us and take us out of Egypt? It was in order that we should be His Avadim. Normal translation, His slaves. Today we have a certain antipathy to the word slave. So, I would probably translate this if I was quoting it by accident for some other purposes. I would say servants. There's no difference, but it has less of a grating on our ears. But as we shall immediately see, the correct translation is not to compromise and not to fiddle, but to leave it the way it is. It is that we should be his slaves. As it is stated in the Torah, Sefer Vayikon, Pashat Bahar, Ki avadai hem, asher hotseiti otam me'eretz mitzrayim. Suk says, for they are, God is speaking, for they are my slaves, whom I have taken out of the land of Egypt. But you know, interprets it, what's the connection between the beginning of the Pasuk and end of the Pasuk? You are my slaves who have taken out of Egypt. You are also my slaves who I've brought to Hasina. You are also my slaves who I've Brought through for 40 years through the desert. You also my, why is it end? Asher Hotseti Otam Eretz Mitzrayim. But he interprets, that's why they're my slaves. They are my slaves, Asher Hotseti, whom I have taken out. He interprets as, because I have taken out. Asher Hotseti, they are my slaves, because of, in result of, the fact that I took them out of Egypt. A word, about this concept. Obviously, we've been trained to think the exact opposite. If I would ask anybody, before having read this out loud, what is the goal of Yitziat Mitzrayim? The answer is, clearly, in every single person listening to this broadcast, and every single student I've ever taught, and every Jew in Shul, surely on Pesach or shortly afterwards, would answer freedom. Which is why Pesach is called by Chazal, not by me. Zman Cheirutenu, the time of our freedom. We were in slavery, and God redeemed us, meaning He took us out of slavery, mi Beit Avadim, from the house of bondage, in order to be free. Ben Yonah has very subtly turned it on its head. Because he found one Pasuk that says the opposite, he says the purpose of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is to be a slave, a slave to God, and not a slave to Paro. I will comment on the difference between the important difference, the crucial difference, the in effect, the whole purpose of Yitzhak time to change Paranic slavery with divine slavery as to why it's different. But in the meantime, this is what Abayinona has said. The purpose of leaving God redeemed us from Egypt so that we should be his slaves. I assume that there's a reference here, I might have it differently, to a kind of a 
logic doesn't really resonate enough today. The kind of logic that says that if you were slaves to power and God took you out, you're automatically his slave. So to speak, if you're drowning and somebody saves you, you owe him everything. So you're his slave as well. It's, it's a medieval kind of concept. I'm sure we've all heard of, and I think it resonates a little bit. I'm not sure that we accept it 100%. But the Torah, because of is stating it. Since I took you out of Egypt, therefore you are my slave. That's assumption one. Assumption two. The Bacha called Gaal Yisrael is really about what? If you go back to its beginning, it's about Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's about the redemption from Egypt. The Geula referred to in that Bacha, Gaal Yisrael is Gaal Otanu Mitzrayim. Starting from Amet Yatsiv, and that's what it talks about. That's why we even quote from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and we say Micha Mocha, which is a quote from Shirat Hayam, from the song sung by the Jews after they uh, crossed, the dead, crossed the Red Sea. So, when you say Ga'a Yisrael, you remember God's grace and goodness that He committed, that He did when He took us out of Mitzrayim. Vahatafila. He avodah. And this for me is the crucial line here. Shimon Esrei is defined as being service. Kedi Amrinan, Vavat Meshem Elokeichem, Zuhi Tfila. The Gemara Bakama, it's based on a Sifri, says that the source for Tfila in the Torah, which never explicitly says you should have is the mitzvah of that you should serve the Lord your God. The Rambam famously says that tefillah is a mitzvah de oraita. It's mesefri. Ezui avodash What is the service of the heart? That is tefillah. Now, those of us who speak English have been accustomed in older sidurim, the kind of people my age grew up with, but I'm sure that they're still floating around there, that the morning prayers are called divine service. And we're so accustomed, I think we might have forgotten what the word service means. A service means the ritual. But that's not what it means. Service means servitude. And just like avodah, avodah Hashem, in yeshivish talk, in yiddish talk, avodah Hashem means doing mitzvahs. No, avodah Hashem means the service of God, serving God. And the root word of avodah is eved. You serve God by being a slave. It's the servitude to God. So Vienna is saying the following. Birkat Ga'al Yisrael is remembering, reliving the experience of leaving Mitzrayim. Shmon Tefillah, is itself serving God being a slave to God. And now he explains, If a person first mentions Yitzhak and then immediately davens, without any interruption, He um, shows, I'm translating, he shows that just as a slave who has been bought 
by a master must obey his master he too recognizes that God has done all these wondrous things for him and has redeemed him from slavery and that therefore he is his slave and therefore he should serve him and therefore that's what he's done and therefore and therefore since he recognized that he is the slave of God who has redeemed him and he fulfills God's will and his mitzvot hence he will get to the world to come what has Ben Yonah added here? that he obeys his will in other words by connecting Shmon Esrei to Geula you are expressing your recognition that you serve God. And if you serve God, Rabbi says, you also obey God's will. And of course, the key to Olam Haba is mitzvot, is obeying God's commandment. So therefore, A equals B equals C, Smichut Gulalot is the recognition that we are God's slaves. How do we show that recognition? Or how do we even inculcate the recognition? First you mention how God redeemed us and then you immediately draw the conclusion. You show that you draw the conclusion by immediately bowing down and serving Him in tefillah. By doing so, you have committed yourself to being a good slave, a good servant, one who obeys. Obedience is, says Obedience, the key to key to the future world. Okay, I don't wish to talk about Rabbi Yonah's assumption here that obedience is the key to the future world, which is important from learning Rabbi Yonah's Muslim. What I want to talk about is Rabbi Yonah's assumption here that tefillah is servitude. The truth is, I don't need Rabbi Yonah for that. He's quoted a Gemara Baba Kama, which says that, Vabatem et Hashem Elokechem zuhi tefillah. Rabbi Yonah has forced me and us to recognize that he means the word literally, that serving God is the service of a slave, and therefore the unmentioned part of that servitude, obedience, is automatically included. Otherwise, I might have interpreted it to mean service of God is to uh, to show that you like Him. The divine service. It's a Protestant English term. And that's not being a slave to God. That's uh, singing His praises. If I'm giving an introductory speech, I have to introduce somebody. Famous Rosh Yeshiva. So I will sing His praises. I'm not being a slave when I do that. I'm just praising Him. I might have thought that's what the service of God means. But Rabbi Yana says that you couldn't get from that to obedience. Rabbi Yana says, take that Kamba literally. Take that Pasuk literally. Take the phrase service, Avodat Hashem, literally. Praying is being a slave. And he who prays properly, he who prays after Geula, will understand that. And therefore he will immediately fulfill, or he immediately realize that he has to obey God's will, and then we'll get to Olam And therefore my understanding, and my question now is, is that true? When we daven, are we expressing the attitude 
a slave? Let's be honest. Davening is asking God for things. That is, that, uh, that is not just my opinion or impression. The Gemara Bracha states, Ain't tachanunim. The definition of tefillah is requests, beseeching. Ain't tachanunim. Davening is beseeching. Asking for things, asking for them a lot. And this, of course, is based on the word tachanunim, and this definition is based on the tefillah Moshe Rabbeinu. Which Chazal, in fact, learned halachot of Shmonesay from it, from that Pasha. And Moshe Rabbeinu is, of course, Beit Hanan, and he asked for something. He, he asked to go to Eretz Israel in the beginning of Pasha Beit Hanan. If Tfilah is Tachanunim, then why is that service of God? You should realize that, that most of the world doesn't think that the heart of prayer is request. The heart of Christian prayer is praise. Paul prayer is singing songs, singing hymns. And that, I could understand, maybe is a service. So we sing his praises on our knees. But if you ask for something, you're not exactly serving the person you ask for. You're almost doing the opposite. You're, getting him, you're trying to get him to serve you. You're fulfilling your needs, not his needs. A servant polishes his master's shoes, makes his food, helps him get dressed. Our service consists of asking God to take care of my shoes, my breakfast, my dress. Give me the food. Give me the clothing. Give me, give me, give me. That's Tefillah. Why is that service? Why is that the expression in Judaism of service? We don't say about everything. That What is the best example of you shall serve the Lord thy God? Daven. Of course, our tefillah also has praise, but it's not the root. Shmonesu uh, has three brachot of praise in the beginning, 13 brachot of requests, three brachot which are called hodaya, and even the conclusion conclusionary praise and thanks. And in fact, the Gemara learns that from the from Hanan al-Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu, who says, I'm going to beseech God, he begins his prayer by saying, He says to God, You have shown me how great you are, how wonderful you are, you are, therefore let me go to Eretz Yisrael. In other words, we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu that if you're going to beseech God, you should first have a bit of praise in the beginning. So the praise is not the purpose. It says, I'm going to beseech God. But the proper protocols, I spoke about protocol before, protocol of making a request of the king is to put in a little bit of praise in the beginning and thanks in the end. But ain't fila el The answer to this question, I think, is simple. What does it mean, ain't fila Why is asking of God things, why is that serving him? It is service of God if you take it to its total extreme. We don't ask things of God the way I ask of my grocer to please give me a pound of sugar. And the reason is because if I don't get it from the grocer, I'll get it from the next from the supermarket. If I don't get it from the supermarket, I'll get it from somebody else. And worst comes the worst, I'll go and I'll plant a sugar cane myself and make it myself. We ask things from God because we have no other place imaginable to get them from. In other words, 
Tefillah expresses our total dependence on God. And Chazal say that that is the essence of being a slave. The essence of being a slave is not working hard. It's true, in Egypt we probably worked hard, but being the essence of a slave isn't working hard. It's not having any goal or basis of your own. Everything about your life, you the slave, comes from the master. What your goals are, to what do you direct your efforts? His happiness. On what basis do you live? His food. Being a slave is not always a bad deal. The arguments are given in favor of slavery when slavery was still an acceptable institution usually worked around the point that it's good for the slave to be a slave. He gets his food, he gets his vest, he's taken care of. He wouldn't be able to handle freedom. Now, some of that was said cynically, some of that was said hypocritically, but some of that was said really. It's probably true. And that's why Chazal Fitzin say that slaves don't necessarily want to be free. And Eved, a slave, likes his slavery because it frees him from responsibility. He doesn't have to take care of himself or take care of anything. He's he sold. And if he's, he does what he's sold, he doesn't care about the results. You don't take pride in what you built because you built for yourself. It wasn't your goal to build it. You just did what you were told. And you don't have to worry about where your food comes from. It might be a good deal if your master takes his responsibility seriously. He will provide you with enough food to live without you having to worry about it. Obviously, he could not do that. He could be a bad owner, but a good owner ha- has a deal. I take your responsibility for you. You do what I say. Not and in return I feed you. It's not, it's not a payment. That would be non-slavery. The owner provides food for the slave, not because he's paying him for his work, but because that's the meaning of slave. The slave is totally dependent on me. He gets his goals for me. He gets his food for me. He gets the meaning of his life for me. Tefillah. You don't say, God, I hear you have rain. Please give me some. You say, There is no other place in existence where rain can come from other than you. There is no other place in existence where uh, um, health can come other than you. There is no other place in existence where tshuva, da'at, parnasa, mishpat, yushalayim, geula, all those things can only come from he who we are totally dependent on him. And therefore, asking God for things is expressing our dependence. It's expressing our lack of, I would say lack of freedom, because that will have a wrong association in your minds. Lack of autonomy. We are dependent and not autonomous. And therefore, to whom do everything, and not once a year, but every day, and in fact three times a day, to God. It's not an investment. It's you want to breathe another breath, Give another prayer. Famous, same the Rav Yochan, Because if you ask for this breath, you have to ask for the next breath. So we make do with only three times a day. Here's what I fulfill what I promise. What's the difference between serving Paro and serving God? When you serve Paro, when Paro is the source of the meaning of your life, that really denies meaning to your life. Because Paro has needs. 
He needs somebody to polish his shoes. He, he, he's looking for something in his, he wants to build a bigger city, he wants to conquer a bigger country. And you are merely a cog in his machine. When you serve God, God in fact wants from, from you to further his life. Because God is already infinite and absolute and fulfilled. So in fact, the things God asks me to do, the mitzvotav, are not going to be polish my shoes, but polish your own shoes. God will command me to be more like Him. God will command me to become a better person. Being the servant of He who has no needs for me is in fact ennobling. It's in fact true freedom. There is no contradiction between Zman Chayrutenu and Leyot Lo Avadim because, and this I'm not going to explain now, but you can get the drift of what I'm trying to say, service of God is the only true freedom. By being a servant to God, we're freed from being servant to anybody else, and being a servant for God, in fact, doesn't enslave in the negative sense, but only in the positive sense. But it's still service. It's still, the, the common ground is the absolute dependence. Therefore, yes, when God tells you what to do, you do what He does, and if Abedinah says, you will get to Olam So, to explain the tefillah aspect here, if we did not somech gula tefillah, you might either misinterpret in your head or more importantly in your, in your attitude, in your soul, you might view davening as trying to get a lot of things from God. Getting God to serve you. Which would miss the point completely and surely would not be the key to getting to the world to come. But if before you daven, you say, who took us out of Mitzrayim and gave us all these chasadim. Mashbil geim, like biyashvalim, otsiyasirim, fudernavim, yozelim, obeit shalamilav, tilot leilayon, golam, ochum, uborach, bichamochabim Hashem, ga'al Yisrael. And then you daven. So you've placed your davening in the framework of God has given me everything that I have and has taken me out of total in, in, enslavement to Paro and has made me his slave. And now you daven. So now your davening really expresses that. Now when you say, I need da'at, tshuva, mechila, refu'ah, ge'ula, parmasa, kibbutz galayot, etc., 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 etc. Now you're saying, I need those things and therefore you whom I serve are my source for them. So then it's one small step from there that when you finish davening, yes, you'll do it God's bidding. You'll the Shomer Mitzvot, you will do God's will, and therefore you have been Olam Haba. What have we learned from this, aside from understanding the Tefillah? We've learned the definition of Tefillah, which I, I really think we should have known anyhow, but, but it emphasizes and clarifies it in a way, at least for me, that was very, very important. Aside from the individual contents of each Bracha Bracha, which we will study one by one in the course of the series, but asking for A, B, C, D, and E from God has another meaning. The very fact that you ask for anything from God has the meaning of expressing your total dependence and enslavement and servitude to God. The relationship with us and God is a relationship of He who has nothing, needs meaning, needs direction, and needs food and oxygen, before he who has everything. 
If you want to know what is good for you, ask God, don't ask yourself. If you want to know how you can breathe, ask God, He's got the oxygen. God is the source of everything. That's to whom we turn in tefillah. And we have nothing. And therefore, yes, we are totally enslaved, meaning we're totally dependent and subject to God. Doesn't interest me now that therefore you get the Olam Haba. That's a side benefit we got from the But what interests us is that tefillah is he who has nothing standing before he who has everything and is willing to give it to you. The second part of a Benyona, which I do not have time to read, says a slightly different idea about how to get the Olam Haba, but the same idea about tefillah. He says tefillah expresses our trust in God because we turn to Him, it's, be, it's from the thought that He can give it to us. And trust in God is the key towards uh, love and fear of God, which will get you into Olam Haba. In other words, it's not the actions, but the attitude. But it's more almost the same attitude. It's all based on the fact that we turn to Him to give us things. Sounds the opposite of Avdut. Benyona says, that's true Avdut. True Avdut is knowing that the source of everything in your life comes from God. And that's our lesson for today. Before we will now go and read each bracha in Shmonesri, but I think this will influence everything we do, everything we read. When you realize that you're davening and asking for A, B, and C, or praising or saying this and that, but that your basic stance before God is that of a slave before his master. He who has nothing of his own before he who owns everything, including yourself, I think that's going to enrich and enlighten our understanding of the particular things that we ask for from God and the particular way in which we address God. And therefore, next week we will begin actually reading Shmon Esrei, the first bracha, Birkat Avot, Birkat Magen Avraham.